morning. Excuse me. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. So I'm going to speak on communion this morning. We were supposed to have communion this morning, so I kind of built this into that. But um, so it might be a little bit shorter, and uh, I'm still not feeling the greatest. So if I pass out up here, just leave me alone for a few minutes, and I'll get back up and continue. Oh, Lord, just thank you for today. We thank you for your blood and your, your precious love. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for your healing power. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy. We thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, and we thank you for being strong when we're weak. We thank you for being our love when, uh, when we had none. And we just pray, Lord God, that you'd have your way this morning. And I just speak blessing over the entire congregation and all the churches all over the, the world that are meeting this morning. And we just pray that your will be done. Amen. So communion is also called um, Last Supper, Lord's Table, or the Lord's Supper. Uh, in the New Testament, communion reminds us of the redemptive substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. Uh, it's a profession on our part that we have become partakers of Christ and draw our life from his death and resurrection. It reminds us of the covenant that was made with the blood of Jesus. In John 6, it says that uh, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So the the Bible states that life is in the blood and um, that only blood can atone for sins. That's in Leviticus. It's written, uh, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Atonement means to cover or... uh, to, to condone, to, uh, to cancel, appease, uh, to reconcile. Communion also reminds us of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. In 1 John, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. The second purpose was the reason that Paul said eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner could bring damnation. A person who takes communion without being cleansed by the blood of Jesus is professing a lie. That's pretty serious. Communion reminds us of the cost of redemption, the heavy, heavy cost. It is impossible to put a value on the blood of Jesus It is the price that was paid for the redemption of the whole human race. 
the Apostle Peter, in his epistle, stated that silver and gold could never compare to the precious blood of Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed or ransomed with corruptible or perishable things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or aimless conduct, which you received by tradition or the law from your fathers, but with the precious, valuable, and costly blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Communion reminds us that God has guaranteed by covenant never to remember our sins after we have accepted by faith that the blood of Jesus has washed them away. In Hebrews says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And in there the writer Hebrews is referencing Isaiah 31. Uh, Hebrews 9 goes on to say, He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He only had to do it once. Hebrews 10 says, For by one offering he has perfected, or consummated, and made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. Forever. That's, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's forever. It's, it's never going to stop. It's all good. It's a done deal. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So there's two portions of communion that we know of today. Um, I'll give a little bit of a history of this as we move along. But as we've come to understand it, there's the bread and the wine. Um, the bread reminds us that Jesus' body was bo- broken for our health, our spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional health. There is healing in communion. The bread of communion symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for us through his sufferings. Partaking of communion should remind us of the emotional and physical salvation that Jesus provided for us. He not only died for us on the cross, but he also bore 39 stripes on his back by which we were healed. In Matthew 8, it states, When evening had come, They brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took, removed or took away our infirmities and bore our sickness. Isaiah 53 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. First Peter says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. The wine of communion represents and reminds us of perpetual redemption. Not only brought Christ not only brought life, but in him was pure life. It was pure blood that he shed for us. It was the only way. He had to be spotless. He had to be perfect. He had to live that perfect life in order to cover and wash away our sins once and for all. Hebrews 9 says, It was not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood that he entered the most holy place once and for all, having attained eternal redemption. It's a shadow and a type of what the high priest used to do in the Old Testament, and he would have to do that annually. Um, And he'd have to make sure he had all his ducks in a row or he wasn't coming out of that place uh, uh, breathing. Um... In this sense of eternal, it means perpetual, includes past, present, and future. Um, It's forever, everlasting. Hebrews 9 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So what did the blood of Christ provide for the one who accepts the atonement of the cross? For one, it was the price that purchased us from the power of darkness. In Acts 20, it says, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In Colossians, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It also justified us before God. In Romans, much it says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him also sanctified us. In Hebrews 10 it states, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10 says, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 13 says, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. It also redeemed us. In Ephesians it states, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And in Revelation it says, as they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
And it's extremely important because it says that there was there was actually sadness in in the heavenly realms uh, while they were waiting uh, for the scroll to be opened, and, and that uh, Jesus was the only one that was found worthy to open it. So thank God he he fulfilled what he was supposed to fulfill. It brought us near to God. In Ephesians, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ also purges our consciences. In Hebrews 9, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse or purge your consciences from dead works to serve the living God. It provided remission and forgiveness of sins as well. In Hebrews it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. In Ephesians it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The blood of Christ also gives us boldness to enter into the holiest, into God's presence. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, and it cleanses us from all sin. First John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1 says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And finally, the blood of Christ overcomes the enemy. Revelation 12, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is correcting the Corinthian church when it comes to, uh, to communion, or right then it would, have, it would have been more of the Lord's Supper um, until about the 3rd century. Uh, it was actually a full meal, and it was... Uh, started by Jesus um, at the Last Supper, which was a celebration of Passover. So it was kind of like a a changing of the guard from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And uh, for the longest time there, a couple hundred years, um, it was actually a full meal, and they would eat it um, whenever. They'd eat it all the time. Uh, And um, sometimes it was cause for uh, people kind of being selfish and um, or or just going after it for a free meal um, and not uh, not partaking in a worthy manner. So Paul uh, um, felt in Corinthians eleven that he needed to correct the Corinthian church on this. It says in First Corinthians eleven, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Uh, the Greek word that was translated proclaim here means to preach or declare. So as we take communion, we're really solemnly proclaiming the Lord's death and our union with him through that death. 
this is a profession of our faith, and therefore uh, there are serious consequences for those who profess something that they don't possess. Um, so this is part of the Passover, but it was the new covenant. Um, uh, the old covenant was celebrated annually. It was once a year. The new covenant is a perpetual covenant that breaches all time and conditions. Um, the early Christian church took communion weekly, sometimes daily. There was no frequency of the Lord's Supper prescribed in Scripture. First uh, Corinthians 11 says... Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. The Lord's Supper is symbolic, and its real power is in the fact that it keeps us in remembrance of the most basic truths of our salvation. However, just because it is symbolic doesn't mean that it is unimportant. Here, Paul described the severe effects of partaking of communion unworthily. And there are several interpretations of what Paul qualifies as unworthy. Uh, The first one would be unconfessed sin, which is a severe interpretation that would suggest that any deed or thought in a person's life that has not been confessed and repented of would make that individual unworthy. Since the scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin, very few people would ever qualify as worthy to partake of communion. Plus, this would make our relationship with the Lord in communion dependent on our performance. And this is contrary to the very act of atonement that the Lord's Supper reminds us of. Uh, The second uh, version would be uh, of being born again, Uh, Being born again produces worthiness. This would also be totally consistent with the doctrine of grace that Paul constantly preached. There were unbelievers among the true Christians, just as Jesus prophesied, and still exist today. It is a dangerous offense for an unbeliever to take the Lord's Supper. When I was a kid, I remember uh, going back and forth with the Lord, and... um, there's, I was always still in church because my parents went to church, so I went to church. Um, and there was uh, one time where I was not walking with the Lord at the time, and uh, they had communion. They were taking communion, handing out communion. And uh, I was sitting with my parents at this this uh, specific time. But I knew scripture. I had read. I, I knew it pretty well for a kid, especially. Um, and uh, I was... I believed it. I, it was the truth to me, um, even though I wasn't walking it. So um, when the communion plate came around, I remember uh, to save face in front of my parents taking the communion, but I, I didn't swallow it. And uh, and after communion was over, um, I went downstairs and I, I spit it out because I didn't want anything to do with with what could happen for with taking this uh, in an unworthy manner. I, I really did take it to heart of what the Bible was saying. Um, and I knew I wasn't right with the Lord at the time. And of course, my mom, even though she's legally blind, she's like, did you go downstairs? But I was like, yeah. And she called me out on it. I I thought I was a little more smooth than that. But um, And thinking back on it, it's like, oh my goodness, he spit communion out. It's like, well, it's... I, I, I took the word seriously. Like, I didn't want 
I didn't want to deal with any of this. Um, and I believed it to be true, even though I wasn't, I was walking in sin at the time. So it's, I believe it's pretty, uh, I mean, it says what it says. So, uh, people who profess salvation through partaking of communion, uh, yet do not possess it, uh, because true faith is not present. Uh, they become guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Those people will not be able to claim ignorance when they stand before God. The Lord's Supper clearly preaches the gospel. So when you take, when you, when you, when you partake in communion and the whole kind of ceremony of it, um, it's kind of, you have to just kind of have your head in the clouds, I guess, if you miss out on the whole reason for it. Um, so you, you, it's basically saying you will not be guiltless, um, if you take it in an unworthy manner this way. Therefore, when taking communion, uh, the people should examine themselves to see whether or not they are in faith. It is an individual evaluation that ministers are not authorized to make for others. But ministers should make Paul's warnings here um, known to others when they administer communion. That's why I try to mention it every time that I do communion up here. Um, It's just a reminder to make sure that, hey, is this really something for you or is this something that you need to pass up at this point? Having a flippant, disesteeming, irreverent attitude um, or a superficial, insincere, and artificial attitude towards it uh, is another uh, qualification of being unworthy. By not remembering the cost, it is consistent with what the Corinthians were doing during the love feast. It was also called the agape feast or love feast. That was another word for what they were doing at the time. Um, and they also tended to mix in some of the local fare with uh, these these uh, these feasts and festivals that were Christians. That kind of they brought in um, secular beliefs and. Uh, Things that they practiced at the time and mixed in with uh, with the true um, the true feasts of the Lord. Uh, they were not placing value on the aspect of remembering what Christ did to purchase their lives back. And like I said earlier, some of them were just looking for a free meal. Some of them would just use it as an excuse to get drunk. Um, There's all sorts of even it even went down to debauchery. Um, which I'm sure had to do with some of the uh, local customs that kind of bled in to, uh, to the church there. Uh, being guilty of the body and blood, um, this would cause fear. Uh, this warning about being guilty of the body and blood of the Lord has caused fear in the hearts of many believers. The fear is that if they aren't just right when they partake of communion, that they'll be damned which is inconsistent with all of Paul's other teachings about relationship with the Lord through grace. We worship in spirit and truth. We Christians do not partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, uh, even if we have sin in our lives. If we truly worship the Lord through communion, we have to do that in spirit and truth. And our born-again spirits are perfect because of the blood of Jesus. Regardless of how our flesh is, The apparent problems with this verse are removed when you take uh, the word unworthily and interpret it as referring to those who are not truly born again. 
Um, and not esteeming the price of the redemption cost, which is something that the Corinthians did um, when they did not see communion as solemn, um, nor were they esteeming it, nor were they remembering uh, the reason for it. And the result of that were some were sick and dying. Um, If some were dying by this means, that the remembrance of Christ's unselfish act has the ability to bring physical healing and, more importantly, to keep a person in sound health. They were not remembering the cost of God and the cost for Christ. And because of their carnality, they were not perceiving the power of communion. So overall, communion excuse me, proclaims or preaches the death of Christ. The death of Christ provides two major things. A payment for sin, and it provided eternal covenant with God, a covenant which we can enter into with Christ and God. The power of communion is the remembrance of Christ's death and his provision for us through that. Lord, we just thank you. We praise you and thank you for your for your death on the cross, for your resurrection for us, for your blood that was shed for us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can still celebrate communion, even though it's a little different than the way the early church did. Lord, thank you, Lord God, for the time that you've given us, Lord God, to to make things right with you. Lord God, thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Lord, and as we go out today, Lord, we just pray, Lord God, that if there's anything on our hearts that needs to be taken care of with you, that you would just show it to us. Lord, we thank you that you have made us worthy, Lord God, that it's not by works that we're saved or made worthy. It's by your blood, that that your blood covers us, cleanses us, and makes us righteous with you. Lord, thank you for setting us apart for your glory, for the future, for the wonderful things that you have in store for us. Lord, thank you for making everything okay. Thank you for bringing us to us, drawing us to us by your precious love. Lord, we just remember today, even though uh, we, we didn't do communion today, we just still remember your blood that was shed for us and your body that was broken for us, Lord God. And we just apply it to ourselves right now. We apply it to each other, Lord God. I just apply it to this body, Lord God, that everything that you have done to come to fulfillment in our lives and to fruition that there would be nothing that would hold us back, nothing that would stop us from doing what is right and from being wildly successful in every good thing. So we just praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And if there's anyone in this room that hasn't made that decision for you, Lord God, I just pray that you'd, you would act on that, Lord God. That you would set that heart ablaze with your love 
and draw them to you in the name of Jesus. That they would truly and completely and totally know that you love them and that you've saved them and that you have a wonderful plan for their lives. So we just thank you for today. We thank you for this week. We just praise you and thank you again for all the mothers out there, Lord God, on this Mother's Day. All the sacrifices that they've made for us. Lord God, and everything that you do through them. And how wonderfully special each and every one of them are. I pray this over all the women in our congregation and everywhere. And I just speak blessings over them in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.